Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Command Partners, the top crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. Each week, I interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. This afternoon, I'm joined by Anthony Pooh with Mighty. Uh, Mighty, the streaming music uh, player so you don't need your phone. Anthony, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Roy. So tell us, what is Mighty all about? So uh, I think what you alluded to, Mighty is the first and only device that lets you play your Spotify or, or other streaming music on the go uh, without a smartphone. We thought it was a sort of hole in the market and a a pain point for some people to uh, right now exercise, work out, do active stuff with their smartphones when they want their Spotify or other kind of music. And, you know, that experience with a smartphone isn't great. And so we wanted to improve that and, and have a great experience for those types of users. Um, and, and that sort of uh, personal frustration and, and pain point is, is where uh, the product was born from. I think the best products always come from pain points and solving people's issues. I mean, you guys have, you know, set a, a serious funding goal at a quarter of a million dollars. You've surpassed that now with, you know, a few days left in your campaign. What have been some of the key points or highlights of the campaign that you can share with our audience? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. And uh, it's, it was, it's been a really awesome learning experience for, for us as well. I think the crowdfunding space um, and, and Kickstarter in general is just this whole, e- whole ecosystem that is you know, very, very intricate. And uh, once you sort of step into the world as an outsider and you see Kickstarter campaigns, you sort of think, hey, someone puts a, a page up for a campaign and people just, you know, uh, back it. But it's, it's really not that simple. There's a whole process involved. I think I want to say 90% of, of, of prepping uh, for this campaign happens, you know, before it actually launches, whether it's, uh, you know, rounding up press or reaching out to f- friends and family or trying to get social media influencers. And really, just trying to have a big splash on on day one. That was that was our goal, um, and you know, just trying to keep the momentum throughout the campaign in the middle of it and, and finishing strong, which we're you know sort of in our last six days now. But I think the biggest takeaway for us is is just that big prep and and really uh, learning and navigating the ecosystem that that Kickstarter is, and and really, like I said, splashing with day one. We we use, which I'm sure a lot of other people have used, uh, Tim Ferriss, one of his articles. On Four Hour Work Week, where he set a template for the Soma guys maybe one or two years ago, and we use that as a starting point because I think things are a little different now in the Kickstarter world. But that was a great starting point, and we sort of built off of that and made it our own. And then, yeah, it just it's just been an awesome experience. Yeah, that Timothy Ferris model is one that's been echoed with many of our other successful campaigns and clients, as well as you know other yeah. podcast shows. I know uh, Bryce with Raven. Uh, was another, you know, successful graduate of the Tim Ferriss course as well. Uh, and I'm sure mm-hmm. he'd be happy to hear. We'll make sure we get this out to him as well. Um, so you really mentioned and drove home, you know, the, the amount of preparation that's needed to really succeed, not only on day one, but keep it consistent and trending throughout the entire launch path. Can you kind of dive in a little bit more in terms of how far out you guys got started and what some of that process may have been? Absolutely. I think, you know, um, there, I feel like with Kickstarter, you can't start early enough. You can always do more and more. But, you know, obviously, given different types of projects and their timelines, it's, you know, it's sort of case by case. But 
you know, we definitely knew we wanted to do Kickstarter towards the end of last year. Uh, I sort of led that effort and really started digging in at the beginning of 2016, at the beginning of this year. And so we started prepping, I want to say, truly started prepping in January, which gave us, you know, seven weeks to really get our, our ducks in a row. But uh, I think the, the, the three biggest things that have or that we tried to attack um, in terms of, you know, really splashing on day one and, and, uh, and getting that, that traffic and hopefully just having a snowball effect um, from press and, and more users and then more press from that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one was just relying on friends and family, which I think almost every uh, creator echoes. And, and I absolutely will repeat again, you know, friends and family are your personal network. They're going to, you know, support you the most. And, you know, if you can get them really excited about the product and they actually like it, then, you know, they'll, they'll bend over backwards to really spread the word um, to their own networks and really just try to sell your product as much as you are yourself. And so we, we definitely set up a process of, you know, speaking with a closer group of, of friends and family who we thought would really love the product and also had good networks themselves to spread the word and really got them involved early on and showed them our appearance model and proof of concept. And, and you know, they, they really, really got involved and helped out. And then, you know, sort of that second bigger group of, of, of more acquaintances and people who are sort of in the space and just we thought would love the product. You know, we had a process of emailing them as well with a heads up on, on the campaign, giving some details and, and to really let everyone know across both groups, you know, we'd love to splash on, have a big splash on day one. We're actually going to launch the night before so you guys can um, get some early access as well and, and, and really get things going for us. So that, that was a huge help. And uh, the second biggest piece was, you know, the press. Uh, luckily, you know, I think a, a other uh, campaigns have had to maybe rely on uh, PR companies or agencies, and and luckily, you know, my previous experience here in here in LA and in the tech scene was in digital media and e-commerce, and so I was able to leverage a lot of the relationships from digital media companies and publishers, uh, especially in the tech space, to really uh, spread the word. So I want to say, you know, maybe 40-50% of the of the press that we got was was through relationships that I had and the other the other part was just organic from seeing our Kickstarter and from seeing the the press that we had already received and I want to say the press was the the biggest influence on our, you know, our first 5 days uh where we <laughs> I think we raised 50% of our goal in those first 5 days and you know, we were trending on Facebook, you know, everyone was even friends that uh that I had that hadn't seen my email yet saw Mighty on on other articles, and it was just really cool to see the press write about it, and then our friends sharing those articles, and just really, like I said, trying to make a splash on those first few days, which was great. You know, we we uh, the other few things we've tried are you know reaching out to social media influencers who we thought would be really interested in the product. I think that might have worked well for some other campaigns, but it's I think it's a tough space in general with that. Um, you know, I think social media influencers are getting more and more sort of uh, a power and, and, and influence overall. And, and so they're starting to, you know, charge for every sort of single promotion. And, and it's, it's sort of a, a bigger process to get them involved uh, more on an organic basis. So that was, a, that was something we had hoped to do, but was a little tougher for us. I think it, it, it's more effective that route if, if you can send out a bunch of sort of working prototypes to all those people. But unfortunately, we didn't have the liberty to do that as we're, as we're, you know, sort of grinding along on, on our end. So that's something we're looking to in the future, but 
you know, other than that, I think uh, just continuing to update our, our backers, adding more reward levels. We just added a stretch goal for sort of the, this middle and end piece. Um, and I think, you know, the middle of the campaign is where some things can slow down a little bit. So it's a matter of just keeping people excited, continuing to spread the word and just keep driving people to the page. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what we've been focused on for the last few weeks. Awesome. What what would you change potentially from the way you launched or did your pre-campaign marketing? You know, what what were some of the things that you guys would recommend other campaigners avoid potentially? Yeah, I think, you know, there uh, at least for us, you know, after the first few days and we saw some success, there are a lot of people that start reaching out, whether it's PR agencies, marketing firms, uh, people that do Facebook ads, like everyone basically, uh, you know, pitching that they can help drive more traffic. Um, and I know some of them have, some of them are pretty effective. And we actually ended up using one of them on the Facebook side, um, which has been pretty, pretty uh, good for us in terms of performance. Um, but I would say that don't get, don't get sucked into to sort of uh, all those messages and just be cautious of who you're working with, you know, do your due diligence in terms of the people that reach out, reading reviews on them and, and, and making sure that, you know, they really do provide a great service for you. I would also say that, you know, it, it really depends on the type of product that you have in the category that you're in, right? So press happened to work out really well for us because we are in, you know, I, I think we're in sort of three spaces, tech, music and fitness, but the tech piece, uh, I think is, was key for us in terms of press. But really, really, because press was so successful for us, and I, and I think it was it is for other campaigns. Really focusing on you know the needle movers and the really influential blogs and and publishers in your specific category, rather than trying to reach out to you know more general ones like big big publishers like Huffington Post or New York Times. You know, if a, if a smaller, more more relevant and and very very targeted audience. Is, is where your product lies and then reach out to those people. They'll be the most interested in the product. It's perfect content for them and, and it just makes sense. And even if it's a smaller audience, those people are going to be the ones that are eventually back you. So really focus on that. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, aside from the different services and the stuff you can do to prep, I, I'd say just, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but be ready for a roller coaster of, uh, of ups and downs, both in emotion and campaign and, and just expectations. Cause, uh, it, it, it is, it, it is, a it has been a crazy sort of three weeks for us. And, but it's been a great experience, like I said. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Beware of the ambulance chasers, right? I mean, everybody and their brother <laughs> will hit you up on uh, messenger about your campaign, you know, so obviously there's, there's a lot of snake oil out there. Uh, certainly be wise. And, you know, obviously that's why we, uh, hopefully look to help, uh, where needed with specific campaigns, and that's why we reached out to you guys. You've you've done really well. Right. Um, you mentioned kind of the roller coaster. You know what what are some of those challenges that you guys have encountered? You know during the campaign. Yeah, I think that um, you know uh, for us specifically, you know we had an amazing first week, and you know every campaign will slow down a little bit in the middle, but I think because ours sort of exponentially grew in those first few days. And then we started seeing like, I think what is normal growth, we we did get a bit nervous. But you know, we learned that it's just, you know, that steady growth is is pretty standard. And you, you have to sort of do the things that we were talking about that I was talking about before in the middle to continue that momentum. But you know, sort of that and 
all the all the uh, comments and messages you'll receive that I mentioned, you know, not only from potential partners trying to pitch you on their services, but, you know, the backers, some of them, uh, I want to say a lot of them don't read a lot of the information on the page and ask questions that are easily answered just by reading the page. So there's a lot of, in you know, obviously you want to just point them to the page, but you, you know, there's a, there's a true customer service element that I'm a big fan of that you want to make sure that even if they're, it's there, you want to, you want to still answer them and make sure they have all the information to make an informed decision. Um, but just tons of questions that are, have already been answered on the page, tons of comments, positive and negative that, you know, just can bother the creator. And, and one thing that I wasn't really aware of is just, you should expect a percentage of cancellations, which was new, which was new to me uh, from a Kickstarter perspective. You know, a, a backer, um, as a backer, you can back, cancel, back, cancel, change your reward level as many times as you want before the end of the campaign. And, and as a creator, a first-time creator, seeing cancels for pledges is like heart-wrenching uh, at first. But it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I've learned that it's, it's part of the process. And, you know, you understand that, these people are, you know, ultimately um, don't have a need or don't want your product, which is fine. But it's just something to be aware of because it, it does catch you off guard uh, in the beginning, at least. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great yeah. point that you bring up, Anthony. Yeah. I think, you know, it's something that many of our campaigners haven't talked about is the cancellations. And, you know, that can have a heart wrenching effect of why don't they want my product anymore? Um, but obviously, there's tons of reasons out there for that when people back or don't back. Sometimes they want the early bird reward, but then, you know, an expense comes up in their life and they need that money. Um, so exactly. it's, that certainly can be a roller coaster all on its own. Yep. Tell me, give me, give us an idea of, you guys set your funding goal at a quarter of a million dollars, which is obviously mm -hmm. very significant. What challenges or what reasons um, did you guys set the funding goal so high? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and to be honest, we wanted to make it even higher, you know, in it being uh, sort of reading, doing our due diligence on just Kickstarter in general, we did not, our number one thing is that we did not want to be a, a project, especially hardware where, where this happens a lot of raising, a an, um, raising the, hitting our funding goal for a campaign and not being able to fulfill to backers on time or, you know, sometimes even ever, which we've seen with a lot of big sort of hardware projects. So to be honest, we wanted to set it even higher for that reason, but you know, we want it to be realistic and, and really, really think about the bare, bare minimum we would need to make sure that we can fulfill to people on time. And, you know, with hardware in general, there's a whole ecosystem of, you know, the manufacturing process and delays there and, and additional costs and shipping and customs and sort of all that stuff. So we, we factored all that in, in uh, with timing and with the amount raised, uh, with sort of all that stuff in mind. And then again, our number one goal being, you know, fulfilling our promise to our backers of, of delivering uh, the product on time. And I, I think that's awesome that you've done that. I mean, you know, not to harp on Ryan and the coolest cooler, but, you know, the fact that he's only been able to fulfill so many orders and didn't really understand the full cost of manufacturing, you know, needing another yeah. 15 million or so to actually finish this thing. Um, you know, it's, I, I think it's great that you guys honestly set your funding goal at something realistic for you and for your backers to know that you guys are very serious about this. And if you didn't collect a penny more, you weren't going to be able to produce this product. So my hat's off for you guys for being transparent uh, and actually setting that funding goal at a realistic number for you to actually truly develop the product. Thank you. Thank you.
So this gets us to our launch round where I rapid fire questions away from you, Anthony. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so if you could listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man, that is a good one. <laughs> um, the, I, 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 I want to say, uh, <laughs> like maybe this might be random. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Drake. And uh, there's a song he said that he has that is, um, hold on, we're, I'm, we're going home. That's just a timeless record to me. And I... Uh, it was one of the big songs at my wedding, and I'm just a huge fan of him. It's my favorite song of his, and so I, that song always makes me happy. So I love that song. Awesome. If you could meet with any entrepreneur or musician throughout history, who would you want to meet with? Oh, wow. That is a good one, too. Um, I feel like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I don't want to I don't want uh, to say Steve Jobs uh, just because I, I feel like a lot of people say that even though I'm a huge fan of his. But one person that does come up is is Kevin Hart, who is, I think most people know him as a comedian. And he's just top of mind for me because I, I've always been a, a huge fan of his personally. And, uh, you know, way before he, he became famous. And we've actually dreamed of him becoming part of the mighty team. You know, we always say, you know, we're small but mighty. And he is also small but mighty. Um, and if you've seen his progression from just movie star to sort of media mogul, it's been amazing. And I think the biggest thing for me is his his work ethic, which I think every entrepreneur needs to have. He is working 24-7 and is really passionate about what he does. And he's gone from, you know, a stand-up comedian to movie star to now running his own production company, has his own Nike running shoes called the Hustle Hearts. And, and, and he's just on top of the world right now. And it's just very, very inspiring both as a fan and, and now as a fellow entrepreneur to just see all his hard work pay off. Um, so I think he, he's, a, he's a big one for me. Awesome. I agree. I, the man's got hustle. Who did you look up to growing up? Oh, wow. Um, I want to say, uh, you know, I think two of my biggest inspirations are my sister and, and my grandmother. Um, so, you know, my grandmother essentially, you know, raised, raised uh, me and my sister growing up in you know, my, my parents were uh, first generation. So, uh, you know, they, 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 they came over, first generation immigrants came over uh, from Taiwan and were busy trying to make things work so that we could, you know, have a good life. And, you know, my, we were home with my grandma every day and she's just had the biggest influence on me. And, and you know, just she's, she's my favorite. Um, and then my sister, more on the, you know, just the, the career side and just, she's sort of my hero. You know, she's, She's uh, had amazing sort of education. She's had amazing uh, career um, at what she does. And I, I can always lean on her to uh, bounce ideas off of and get feedback. And to me, she always sort of knows the right thing to do and I can trust her. And, and uh, she's always been supportive of everything that I've done. So I think those two, when I, when I was growing up and, and even today, are sort of my, the people I look up to. No, it's great to hear. Family is always critical, yeah. you know, especially as a yeah. growing entrepreneur. Um, right. What business book or life book would you recommend our listeners? Oh man, um, I don't know if I have one specifically. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, reading uh, the the biographies of of entrepreneurs, like a Steve Jobs and, and Elon Musk's biography, and also reading uh, books about startups that have that have grown to you know to big companies today so there's a book uh, of Twitter and their sort of growth and history and, and Amazon and how Jeff Bezos uh, came to be what he is today those to me are 
are very inspirational and motivating and, and you learn a lot just uh, sort of analyzing someone's life and uh, and how they've sort of gone on their different journeys and and, and navigated uh, their paths to becoming really, really successful entrepreneurs. So I take the most out of those kinds of books. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in five years, Anthony? <laughs> Uh, I think on the, on the, on the personal side, uh, you know, uh, I can definitely see myself in a, in a nice house in Santa Monica, you know, staying in, staying in LA with, with my wife and a few kids, but you know, I'd love to, I'm, I think I've learned that I'm a definitely entrepreneur at heart. I, I, I don't really like doing the big corporate thing anymore. I like to work in smaller teams and really make an influence on a company. And I, you know, I love, you know, running my own business. And so if it weren't, you know, if it isn't mighty, which fingers crossed, I, I hope it will be. Um, I definitely see myself very, very heavy in the, in the LA tech scene still and, and, uh, and being an active member there and, and, and continuing to be an entrepreneur and, and sort of chasing, uh, you know, the dreams that I have and, and, and trying to make great businesses out of them. Awesome. Last question, Anthony, where do you see the future of crowdfunding going? Great question. Um, you know, I think, one thing is what I alluded to before is I, I think there's obviously several different things that could happen. But I think, you know, like I said before, we personally wanted to make sure that as a hardware project, we continue to fulfill on time to our to our uh, backers. And, and I, I'm hoping that it doesn't go in the, you know, even even today from one or two years ago, the sort of ecosystem is different in that people have seen projects completely go out of business. And so there's a bitter taste in some people's mouths. And I, I, I'm hoping it doesn't continue in that direction. I can, I can see it potentially happening, but um, uh, you know, I'd love for that to sort of re- reverse that trend. So there's that. I also think, you know, there's, uh, I have friends at other companies who are actually going the sort of equity crowdfunding route, which I'm sure you and your audience are well aware of. But it seems to be something that's getting bigger and bigger and companies are embracing it more. Consumers like it. And it seems to be like a good system. But yeah, I think, you know, to me, those are the two biggest things that I see in terms of the trends for the next few years. Awesome. Anthony, you've been an awesome guest. Uh, Give our listeners your pitch. Tell us what you're all about, where people should go and why they should go buy a Mighty. Yeah. So again, Mighty is, is the first and only device that lets you play your Spotify music on the go without a smartphone. Me and the team really uh, created this device from from you know personal pain points, which I think is is great and 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 is true for a lot of other awesome products and businesses out there. The team consists of uh, a bunch of ex collegiate athletes, huge music fans, and and still avid exercisers. And so we personally had a need for this device. You know, right now the only way to consume Spotify music while you're working out or being active is on your smartphone, and that's not a great experience. Smartphones are getting bulkier more fragile, more expensive, and sucking up a ton of battery data and, and, and memory with music streaming. And, and Mighty is sort of a, a, a great uh, answer to all those problems. And so we want to, we want to provide this great experience uh, for users and do it in a very simple and elegant way. And we're really happy with what we've done. And, you know, there's a lot more in store for us. And uh, right now we're focused on finishing up our campaign. Um, we've hit our goal and we're uh, hoping to hit our stretch goal in the next week. So if you know if you're if you're an active person and you are a Spotify user, please check Mighty Audio out on Kickstarter. 
Awesome. Anthony, thank you for joining us. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the show notes, links, and everything we've talked about and a full transcript of the episode. Anthony, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and share it with your friends. If you need a more hands-on crowdfunding marketing strategy, please visit our website at commandpartners.com and request a quote. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time.